your child just either photographed a fairy or is so fucking smart she figured out how to manipulate a photograph and they're just like seriously though so if these petticoats happens? come back dirty one more time <laughs> i mean they obviously priorities. not paying close priorities parents. okay well so then um, what happened history i'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole history i'd like to Hello, and welcome to HILF, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, <laughs> and it's a joy podcasting here in the Den. That's the Deluxe Edition Network. To hear other great podcasts in the Den, follow the link in the show notes or go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. This episode, The History of Fairies. They're in children's books and Shakespeare. They frequent dreams, nightmares, porn, Google it, (laughs) and their tiny footprints can be found in virtually every culture on earth. Now I'm gonna tell you all the various theories about their origin and appearance and what they can supposedly do and why many, many people around the world believe they are real. With me in these enchanted woods is my best friend of over 25 years, Rhiannon Fiskraditz. She is a singer-songwriter, an artist, and the biggest fairy enthusiast I've ever met. And it's no mystery why. <laughs> like from her clothes to her tattoos to her music, she has an abiding magic herself that is undeniable. <laughs> so pull up a chair with us. Get cozy, friend. We saved you a spot and made you a Bloody Mary. Let's get started. Uh, Rhiannon was very straightforwardly given to me because the song Rhiannon by Stevie Nicks, written by Stevie Nicks, performed by Fleetwood Mac, was top of the charts when I was born. And uh, my mom was a big fan. Mom and dad. Mm -hmm. I think they agreed. Yeah, they they seemed in on it. (laughs) They seemed in on it. Uh, and you know, being named after not only a incredibly famous pop song from the era, but also a Welsh witch has sure. had the resulting effect that you might imagine. <laughs> you might imagine. It's a pretty unique name. I have to explain yeah. it all the time because it was popular in that moment, but certainly to the younger generation, they have no idea what it's about. It's not been popular through the ages. Mm-hmm. I run into people every now and again. Who, sure. Or who go Rihanna. Oh yes, yes. Of Rihanna. course, there is, and there's uh, Rhiannon Giddens oh. is also is she's another musician out there in a totally different genre hmm. uh, than Rihanna. But we sure. all run into those. Sure, I'm sure Rihanna gets. Are you Rhiannon Fiskratis? Oh, you know what? She time. texted me about that the other day. <laughs> yeah, she was in Belize, and, and was somebody like, was like, "Rihanna You're Fiskratis. never going to believe this." Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it all comes full circle because my best friend Rhiannon, named after the song made popular by Stevie Nicks. I'm looking at a clock over your shoulder. We, you and me, are going to see Stevie Nicks, who will inevitably sing Rhiannon tonight. This very night. It's one of the reasons you're fucking here. Rhiannon lives in Minneapolis. It is where we met in college. And she is here warming my home, letting my daughter crawl all over her. And tonight we're going to drive through a, a stormy, rainy Los Angeles dystopia. So, so wild. Uh, we, I am in the namesake of the Welsh witch. 
going to be a fucking great time. I can't wait. It's going to be epic. I can't we're gonna wait. Have, we're going to have some memories. I'm not even bringing this. panties. I'm not wearing them. I'm not bringing them. Why bother? Why bother? Dead weight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rhiannon. So we met in 1998. We did the math last night. That's 25 years, oh girl. Oh, my God. 25, 25 years we've been friends. We've known somebody for 25 years. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> we were younger than 25 when we met. We were, you were a teenager. Am I? I was a teenager. Because I'm slightly older than you. So you, we were, but I think we were both teenagers. I think we were both teenagers. I think we were 18. <gasps> oh, so cute. And <laughs> you may uh, or may not have seen a photograph of us, and you may or may not have seen a photograph of us together, but we, as of as recently as yesterday, you Constantly, two sisters, you two must be sisters. sisters. We're both uh, drop dead gorgeous. Um, <laughs> I'm not disagreeing, but that's a hilarious thing to just say about yourself. Couldn't be hotter, <laughs> and it's particularly funny because we, I, we are in a, we're both drinking Bloody Marys out of a plastic cup. Let me paint the scene for and you. It's like 11 a.m. I'm wearing, I'm wearing my Johnny Cash T-shirt. I slept in. I have a scarf that you wear when you're like backpacking through Europe and you get a little chilly. It's like the uncoolest uh, thing. We just, we really kind of fell into like a freshman college. Like we definitely smoked dope this morning. Like about? I'm going to be late for something later. I'm wearing oh. leggings, you guys. You guys. It's a leggings kind of morning. I had Crocs on <laughs> five minutes ago. <laughs> the only reason I don't have the Crocs on now is because I'm sitting crisscross applesauce with my oh lord but we do the reason still people but the, we are still hot <laughs> and the reason people make that uh connection we've always had red hair usually we have a similar color eyes and we like to wear kind of clothes that are we out there big, big easy smiles and we're, when we're together they're out a lot so you know we're always like very mm -hmm. cheery with one we're another. a little taller than your average yeah, gal yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm five seven you're five eleven yeah. and you know when people are vibing they just it's you like vibe. people looking like they're dogs it, it, it I'm not making that exact comparison, but Who's you know what I mean. Dog, like, who's the dog, Rhiannon? And who's the dog? <laughs> you're you're older. You start that makes to me look the dog. like the people and things that you love. Uh, I was your maid of honor. Yes, you were my maid of honor. Yes. We have tattoos. We both have many, many tattoos. Mm -hmm. um, we both have tattoos in each other's honor. Yep. Presently, you live in Minneapolis. I mentioned S that. Sample. But yes. St. Paul, thank you. The, the Twin, Twin Cities. Cities. Yes. Got it. You design and build costumes for a variety of theatrical institutions. Do. I you do. manage a choir. I do. Beautiful you, choir. A beautiful vocal choir. Vocal essence. Vocal essence, yep. The you, Singers of This Age are their name. They named oh. themselves. Oh. Uh, acronym SOTA. Wow. I know. As so in Mena. Yep. Wow. Brilliant. Uh, you make, design, and build brilliant beaded oh, artwork. Yes. Yep. Do you live with your husband, Aaron? And your two Lovely dogs, man. Pixie and Reggie. What Beautiful did they creatures. miss? What do you, what do people? What else? What do? Oh, you're a singer songwriter, of course. Yes, I'm part of a. I'm part of a vocal. It's one of those groups where we can do two of us or five of us. The big band is called the Riff Rangers, and we sing like a hundred years worth of music. Mm. Um, but then I also make um, music as my own, uh, under my own pseudonym as Mama Fairy. So oh, I, I was just uh, earlier today as you were getting ready to record. I was working on a grant. I'm hoping to write a rock opera in the next few years. And I've just finished an EP and I'm going to use that as the catalyst for my journey for the next few years. And oh. I'm very excited. And so if people want to find Mama Fairy, how do they spell it? Um, M-A-M-A-F-A-E-R-I-E. And um, pretty much the only place she's available right now is on Instagram, Mama Fairy Music. 
Oh, but right. that will be speeding up as I release my music mm. and get these projects off the ground. It is so deeply authentic to Rhiannon. In addition, I told you about the tattoos. On her back, mm. her biggest featured piece mm-hmm. is a, a second beautiful tattoo. tattoo of a fairy. For her wedding, she wore a giant pair a fucking decked out wedding uh, wings. Oh, they were enormous. She looked. My beautiful friend Meryl felt. made them for me. Oh, they were. They were so like stunning. what? So probably my hands were probably six feet across, and they went on kind of like a backpack. So mm-hmm. it didn't get in the way of your dress. Didn't Mm-mm. hurt you. It wasn't Mm-mm. heavy. It Mm-mm. was just this like. <gasps> yeah, oh my god, stunning! Visually stunning. And I recall, oh, those twenty-five years ago, <laughs> sitting over uh, a box of Franzia because it was all the booze I could afford. Yep. And um, we would talk, and our hearts flipped in our chest for fairies and history. Yeah. Why fairies? And you can answer that in two parts. In your general interest that has been so permeant that it's imprinted on your body forever and was part of your most sacred rituals and part of your um, continuing artistic contribution to the world, and why you chose it for us to help together because they're both kind of wonderful and i don't know if the answer is the same to both of those questions oh gosh um originally it was unicorns to be honest Mm. in terms of uh fantastical creature obsessions um that was my deal and i still have little figurines of unicorns that i've kept from my collections as a child um but fairies had the additional uh asset of flight Mm. uh which became very important to me as i grew up and that was symbolic of just going out and seeing more of the world. We're also and it's both from thing. rural Wisconsin. We so needed to who see doesn't more. want to We needed to move fly. beyond. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. symbol was very important. Um, and then also I'm very much an escapist mm. at heart. It's part of my storytelling. It's what I do with my career. It's, that's the uh, that's the lens through which I filter a lot of the things that I engage with in the world, mm. escapism and, and fantasy. And fairies just filled a lot of my buckets, checked a lot of my boxes, as it mm-hmm. were. Um, and as I've grown up and honestly moved away from like a spiritual practice of a traditional religion that I was taught in my youth and wanted to just left all of that behind, wanted to regain something of that, like of a spirituality mm-hmm. and didn't want it to ring false. So, you know, like a lot of kids in my 20s, like I just investigated a lot of things the most obvious. I was Wiccan for a time. Sure. My name, it? it was built in. I'm Rhiannon. Right? Yes. I had to try it. But I tried a bunch of other things too. And eventually I was like, but I've loved all these things from the beginning. I love fairies. Why not try to incorporate them into what I believe and think in the world? And so like I brought it to the table here today. I'm rubbing it so you can hear The modern witchcraft guide to fairies. Like I love gardening. Mm. So I think, well, one of some fairies from the fairy world could help me in my gardening endeavors. Um, sure. And one of the things that I love about them in my adulthood and why I think about it in terms of a spiritual practice is fairies live on top of our world. Mm. That's their lore. And one of the reasons why I've asked you today is I know a little bit about that, but I don't know the deep history. Oh. I haven't learned the deep history. Okay. So I'm interested in them still to this day because I work about with them and think about mm-hmm. them i have a row of chairs in my garden dedicated to them little baby chairs That's like for right. dolls yes. so that they can come and sit and enjoy the creations the the green things that i've grown for them but i come to them from a very aesthetic place yeah 
So I asked you about them because I know that you go so in depth. That's <laughs> not my forte. And I value your ability to really dive deep and oh. really explain things to me specifically in a really enthusiastic, empathetic, um, beautiful, funny way. Oh, God bless it. <laughs> I have a difficulty with history only in the arenas in which I feel like it's dispelling whimsy. Mm. Oh, yeah. So sometimes it's like science. Yeah. It's like when science and religion are both in the pursuit of the same thing and then meet in a crossroads where they're like, I can't go any further with you. Yeah. Because yeah. We're, there's this thing where we're antithetical. And if I really want to believe in these mythical, impossible to pinpoint, we don't know where they came from then it becomes very difficult to go searching for the origins because sometimes it you can dispel really things to. for you. And yet, I've never found that to be the case for anything. And I'm very excited to tell you that in this deep dive of fairies, I have become something of a convert. Yeah. In the sense that um, I've never had fairy chairs in my gardens and yeah. I've never like invited fairies and such but i have found since i've really begun this research at your uh, uh prompting that um they're they're in my hair and it is uh it is not only a joy but of course you're in my hair when they're in my hair yeah. you know yeah and so uh what a joy so that makes me really happy to hear don because i know that i know Fairies can be one of those things that are associated with childhood. Mm -hmm. And it's a little ridiculous for mm -hmm. me to be presenting this as an idea, as something that I, I present as part of my persona in my adult life. Mm -hmm. I recognize that there are people who hear that and go, no, no, <laughs> they just discount you out of hand. Right. Uh, but it's like anything that you take into, it, it, has, it holds a place in my soul. That's right. And so it's more important to me, and that's part of my identity, and I think it's important. So yes. I carry forward that little bit of whimsy that can still be serious. Yes. Take So I appreciate that you said that. Well, it it's 100% true. And also, since you've been here, one of the gifts you gave us was a shadow book of fairies for mm -hmm. Beatrice, which mm -hmm. has piqued her interest in magic stones. I mean, it's so it's so fun. So let me tell you, firstly, my sources and then my plan. Amazing. <laughs> let me hear it. Okay, so... And, and it's so fun that I'm already speaking in sort of the language that I've received from the research I've done. The fairies led me yep, to this. That. The, the fairies led me to this podcast uh, called The Fairy Podcast. Shocker. Do you know about The Fairy Podcast? I don't. You're blowing my mind right now. Okay. Things that are that obvious that I should clearly I, I, know God. about always come as a surprise. And you to have me. to know that if we, if I didn't know that you and I were going to be sitting down and recording this podcast, I would have sent it to you immediately, but I had to sort of put it under a bushel because that's <laughs> right. So it is co hosted by two fairy experts. The first gal... That that's a thing. Her name is Fa uh, Fiona Marr, which is exactly what you would be named if you were a fairy expert, yep. and Dan Baines. Okay. They co-host this podcast. It's absolutely fantastic. You will find links to it uh, in our show descriptions, and I encourage you all to go. I believe my understanding it is a, it is a limited podcast. I don't know if they intend to put out more episodes. Right now, there's like 10 or 12. They're all give or take an hour long and uh, exceedingly fun to listen to. They started before the pandemic, and then I think that there were some pandemic-related no really Kerfuffles. issues. Yeah. But Fiona Marr is an author. She lives in the UK and she's written a few fictional bestsellers okay. starring fairies. Um, and she writes about badass fairies. Fairies that fight and defend yes. and are mischievous, but like for a purpose. And her novel is called The Last Changeling. Um, that is 
this book and this, my dear friend Rhiannon, I have not yet read. It is a present for you. When you are done, give it back to me. I can't wait. It is a thriller. It is a fiction and it stars a badass but, fairy. But is it, I mean, is there it any relationship place, to Sherlock Holmes? Uh, it's the, She's pointing out the front cover says Baker Street, which is a Sherlock Holmes reference. And not only does it reference Sherlock yeah. Holmes, but Sherlock Holmes is tits deep in the fairy history. And I'm going to tell you all about it. <sighs> Right. So she wrote that she's written a couple of other important uh, uh, books and she is writes about fiction, but she believes in fairies. And she also hosts and created the largest fairy festival that happens in Wales once a year. And yes, we're going. What time of year? When is it? It's in August, I think. No. I have to make sure no. it still happens. Why? I'm going to be in the UK this year in August. See what the fairies just did. That's what Fiona Mara would say. I've listened to enough of her. She'd say, see what the fairies just did there. That makes me cry a little bit. <laughs> okay, so that's Fiona. Her co-host. I know, it's amazing, right? Okay. <laughs> her co-host is named Dan Baines. He, check this out, is a former counterintelligence officer in the military of the UK. He was in the armed forces, and he also believes in fairies. I do not associate any military personnel. It does seem counterintuitive. And one of the best things you get to hear about is that Dan Baines goes to Fiona's uh, fairy festival every year. And one of the things that they do is they encourage people to tell them about their fairy encounters. And Dan Baines is like, he's like, I'm really useful because the like macho military dudes who like saw a fairy while parachuting into the whatever. He's like, they don't want to go to the pink dreadlock tie-dyed god bless them rhiannons of the world who are gonna be wearing peacock wings and like tell me everything soldier like they want you know and they they want nothing to do with us but they still are having this like moment and they're trying to figure out so dan baines becomes this like wonderful sort of he's the diplomat yeah between uh, them source a touchstone for a lot of folks that wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable coming here so here's my my plan moving forward but these being my sources um fairies okay or something very much like them, and we're gonna define them more specifically as we go, Great. exist in virtually every culture around the world. Mm-hmm. And there are many people who say that other paranormal phenomenon are just reinterpretations of what have always been fairies. For example, aliens with almond-shaped eyes, they're small, they have green translucent skin, they steal time, they steal you. Sure. This is just a new word sure, and a new concept sure, sure. for fairies and what they've they've always done. I never considered that before, but yeah. that makes immediate sense to Angels me. with their wings, ghosts that sure. that we have been pretty much relabeling fairies throughout our traversal of paranormal phenomena. Sure. After we kind of get through some like general fairy history and definitions, we are gonna go face first, girl, <laughs> into my absolute favorite historical fairy true oh my god story oh my god are you ready to fuck fairy history with me i am so fucking ready okay let's fuck what is a fairy do you tell i know that people 
It's one of those things like, what is a dog? And you put in your mind, everyone pictures a dog. A dog they've known, a dog they've seen. What colors? But you know that whatever it is you, individual, picture in your mind does not encompass dogness. Can I interject for one second? Please do. Because what you're saying is really important to me. Hmm. My my version of a fairy Hmm. is the like... In real life, she's hand-drawn. She's mm. translucent. Word. She's got glittery hair. Word. Her skin is almost transparent. So I love that because my image of a, a fairy is a very important image to me. And mm. I don't like the cartoony versions. And I don't resonate. Like Tinkerbell doesn't resonate doesn't with me. Doesn't do it. So what you're saying is just an incredibly important uh, uh, lens yeah. through which to see people's, like, why they like this topic. For sure. And and it it is also, though, if you're looking at sort of any representation of, like, comparable mythical creatures, like Mm -hmm. goblins and leprechauns and gnomes, Mm -hmm. the difference between them and a fairy visually is almost always female, although we know there are male fairies, and male fairies are written from Shakespeare on up. Wings. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. In nature. Yes. These these are generally their features. They are originating that image of a fairy and the word fairy based in that Latin fae, um, which fae has been used to reference the land they come from, the region they're from, the way the creature themselves. Fae is sort of that Latin root. E- that etymologically, does it have some sort of like fae is, means <clears throat> this? Um, th- some It's like other human is sort of Ooh, other like, like other that. it's sort of like an of it, it generally the roots of fey are just other like a different kind of thing Ooh, I like that. so okay, and it's cool. celtic slavic yeah german english and french is where you're gonna find your yeah, threads that all sense. seem to come from the same thing they have various appearances various origin stories differ their motivations differ but they are usually evil at worst yeah naughty and mischievous at best yeah even tinkerbell for all you may not exactly for all you may not dig about tinkerbell she was actually kind of a really appropriate representation of fairy and pop culture because she's naughty yeah she wants to fuck with wendy she wants to she wants to get peter for herself and she causes problems and eventually she's not that bad but Tinkerbell does embody the pain in the ass stuff that tended to sort of differ from this angelic version of fairies that they are granting wishes and it's always a good thing to see them, which is why a lot of Americans and a lot of sort of modern post-1940s folks who who encountered fairies in a kind fairy tale arena become very shocked when they go back to these sort of older tales of fairies that are like, they are dangerous, they can hurt you, they steal your children, they kill your cattle. Because we were like, no, 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 they make your garden grow. (laughs) Right? Because before the Disney era, fairy tales were meant to teach us lessons that we needed to know. They were essential tales. And also a warning. Disney took over, they were (laughs) like, it's all sugar plums and... Yes, but also a warning, and and I think a really appropriate warning of don't go out there into them woods, you idiot. Like if yeah. you leave the area where you can That's be what I mean. seen, they were essential. Yeah. stories were like, don't listen, go there. We're telling you this over and over, generation after mm-hmm. generation, because this is information you need Correct. to know. And this isn't like if you go outside the ring of these trees, it would be really disappointing for us. We'd be really frustrated. No, no. You this you won't die. come back. Your yeah, life there's is a lot over. of things out there that are going to get you. So yeah. it was really useful. Where do they come from? So let's just say they exist now. Here are the theories for how one 
comes to a world in which fairies exist. One is that they are the unworthy dead. Now, if you're talking about a concept that predates Christianity, this means that they are the souls of humans that couldn't get into an afterlife. Oh, I don't. don't And we're not. Yeah, we're not sure. We have that. (laughs) Rhiannon is not down. With that, um, they are the children of Eve is another theory, oh. being that in the Garden of Eden, where we had the Satan came and tempted Eve to eat the apple, thus destroying our sort of perfect relationship with nature, that Eve had other children in the Garden of Eden before our recognition of good and evil, and that those children that Eve had before our recognition of good and evil were therefore sort of insulated from this material present cognizant world that we occupy and that those children went on to become fairies holy lord right something about that is very appealing very and i don't like anything about the christian (laughs) myth bringing we're bringing but granted back to genesis wow okay okay all right jesus Uh, uh i might got your back after this oh i'm page turn of this book Um, another theory is that they are fallen angels, if you want to get another sort of Christian tie. And there's two yeah. versions that suggest that fairies have to do with sort of a Christian notion of heaven and hell. One is that the angels revolted, as is discussed in the Bible. The angels revolted, and, and in the midst of the revolt, God just closed the gates of heaven. And that those that were in heaven at the time are angels. Those who were in hell at the time are demons. And those that were caught in between are the neither good, neither bad, hard to see angels. And that there have never been any more of them or any less of them than from this moment shortly after uh, the Garden of Eden that the angels revolted. Okay. Nope. (laughs) Okay. Here's another theory on where the... And I have another creature, another name for it anyway. Beautiful. There is a group of people, you're going to hear more about them a little later. They're called the Theosophists. You heard me. Theo- <laughs> you said it beautifully. Thank you. The and Theosophists, I still have a question mark in my eyes. They are a, a group of people joined by their belief and understanding. Kind of a religious group and yet not. Well, again, I'll, I'll, don't worry. Don't panic. We get back to the Theosophists. Theophysists in a moment. Thank God. They believed very deeply in fairies and they called them devas, D-E-V-A-S. And they believed just very generally, these are entities which guide nature, evolution, growth, plants, etc. And they didn't get too much more specific than that, but boy, they were deep into it. Now here's where the, um, I forget which one's the, the Mulder and Scully. I forget which one was the like, which one did Gillian Anderson play? In the X-Files. Scully. Scully. This is the Scully version of where fairies came from, which is there's got to be a scientific yes, historical love it, love explanation it, for this. Because I am more this. of a Moulter, so mm-hmm. and I, lay yeah. it on me, Scully. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, which suggests that the origin of fairies actually comes from cultural memory, which is hmm. dated back to the Iron Age. The idea is that there was a race that had iron weapons and various abilities to wall off their cities okay. that we know would fight with a more primitive human race that used stone and wood and spears and water. And just like a lot of other encounters between cultures and races throughout, whoever has the best guns win. So whoever had the iron tools won, therefore eradicating a race of human beings 
who only had access who to only nature. had access the, to nature the, the lesser weapons of correct nature. they were not winged they were not mystical and magical however through oral tradition and through they cultural memory we inherit after several generations the idea of a race that lives out there in the woods that uses stone and rock. They're generally dangerous, generally mischievous. And part of the most divine icons and tools that people who believed in fairies held with them all the time were these iron tablets, iron amulets. If it was iron, it would keep your baby safe from fairies. If you just had something iron in your house, it was like an amulet that would protect you from these mystical races. And the idea is that we lost track of the reality and the literal element that this is based on. And so we just keep an, a little piece of iron next to our baby's crib to keep us from those wildings that live out in the woods. So I love that idea. And I've heard this idea of iron before. And you know me, I'm a very crystal centric. I've got a lot of crystals that are important to me. And I don't have a piece of iron. I'm gonna now go out and get it. But if you do, it will keep the fairies away. Well, but sometimes in certain spaces, that's what you need. So I think it's useful <laughs> to have a piece in your possession. That's yeah. all I'm saying. The other thing that fairies are really known for is the phenomenon of a changeling. Oh, yes. Do you know what a changeling is? Is actually able to change forms. Close. That's a, that's a shapeshifter. I actually thought the same thing. I had to figure out what a changeling is, too. Oh, are you about to school me? I might be. I, I apologize I in advance. No, no. Tell I me. thought the same thing. Tell a changeling me. makes sense. And I... Exactly what you thought. A changeling, someone who can transform from like human form to fairy. Yeah, That's a changeling. Because they're tricksters. So here's one of the things that is part of why fairies were perceived as an evil thing. Why you would need to keep iron in your house to keep them away. Because one of the things that a fairy could do to you and your family is replace your child with a changeling. Oh, okay. So, I'm a, remembering this in fairy mm -hmm. tales now. Right. So the, the idea is... And, and, and like so much myth and so much spiritualism, yeah. we justify and explain these things based on real life ex things we can't explain from the natural world, be it weather or health or what have you. The premise is that fairies often would take your baby out of its crib and replace your baby with a fairy, a fae, mm -hmm. a fae creature. Yep. yep. And this on the, again, historical, practical, psychological side explained to so many things that we now label as what we call latent autism, where like a child looks, quote unquote, normal, mm. is developing in a quote unquote, normal way. Mm. And then mm. all of a sudden they're three or four and they are neurodivergent. Mm. This sort of scenario would be that's not your baby. Your baby was stolen and replaced mm. by so one of these creatures. So that's kind of showed up in reality exactly. and people started assigning it. And certainly an outward deformity, name it, yeah. could be contributed to the idea that a fairy took your baby and replaced it with this fae mm. creature. Why, people would ask, why were the fairies doing this? One of the um, mythical elements is because human women breastfeed a higher quality milk than fairies do. And they're actually kind of always into us suckling their babies. Goodness. Because we're a little bigger, we're a little stronger. So when we suckle their babies, their babies grow they're up bigger and stronger. So it's kind of a con. More nutrients. Yeah, they're trying sure. to they're trying to get us, they're trying to trick us into, mm. into suckling and raising their babies. Mm. Um also, sometimes a child would be accused of being a, a changeling um, because they were so beautiful 
mm. or particularly great at something, but it was still always bad. They were manipulating the human race. Correct. It was still never a good thing yeah. for anyone to suggest or certainly to believe that you or your child was in fact a changeling. And it was often a result of infant side and abandonment. Yeah. And, and part of it was that they were stealing your food. Right, which is a very evolutionary, poor, poor, poverty-stricken people's biggest fear is that we are going to put all of this food and resources into this creature that is going to be a quote-unquote waste. It's going to die anyway. It's going to run away with these things. And it was way, their way of sort of spiritually justifying the idea that we shouldn't have to feed this thing because it's stealing from us. Wow. Right. Okay. Um, so there's a few different versions of a changeling. The one I just described, which is babies. And the idea that, and they also trade their babies and sometimes they trade back. <laughs> that was another interesting thing that they were just doing it for a little while and just then they would the trade back yeah. or that they, there were old fairies, uh, that old people fairies, your, your, your decrepit, uh, you know, kind of twilight year fairies that they would put them into babies cribs as changelings so that the human parents would take care of their old people. Huh. Which is a sweeter I mean, that's, version. Yeah, that's sweet. It's still very terrible for a human <laughs> yes. parent to be like, yeah, okay, fun. But the but it was it was just another interpretation of we want you to care for our our, okay. our others, right? Um, or this is a, particularly fascinating: a belief in an adult changeling. Now, the What's only the way that there? means a fairy could take an adult and swap them out with one of theirs, it was always a woman who had just gotten married or just had a baby. And if you uh, are familiar, there is a now well-documented, medically diagnosed psychological condition that many women have right after they get married and right after they have a baby, be it depression. I mean, oftentimes, especially in, in a marriage, a woman is now suddenly, abruptly in this time taken out of everything that is familiar. And they have an emotional and psychological reeling from it that can result in Weight gain, weight loss, illness, hair, you know, all the things that happen when you have a huge adjust. So the theory was they've been, they've been swapped out, they've been changed. And again, and it was the same reason you would take a nursing mother who just had a baby could be replaced with a change because they're trying to take the milk and yeah. her milk is so valuable and we're trying to swap her out. This is more than just a silly well, this folktale makes so belief. Sense. This in makes eight, so much sense. Totally. In 1895... A woman named Brigden clearly was murdered by her husband, lit on fire. They're, they actually, the accounts I read, they don't know if he lit her on fire when she was alive or dead. He well, loved her very much. Great. He loved her to death, and so to speak. And he said he only did it because he wanted to try to get the fairies to bring back his real wife. Oh, God. He was so convinced that she had been taken. Oh, I mean, the, the level of belief that that requires is... It's devastating. I don't have words. There's no... <laughs> now, as you know from the historical record, this is news to you, my, my, my deepest fairy lover in the world. It's obviously not a reoccurring thing that people were burning their wives or killing their right. wives thinking they were replaced. Right. But it I'm was part it. of this fairy lore that was that was pervasive and passed down and enough that in some somewhere. small communities it was taken to the extraordinary length yeah. of actually burning yeah. the wife he loved so much to bring so the fairies would bring her back. And that, that Rhiannon, that's just your general swath. Now, what I, what I hope to have established in this first part is some origin tales, some general touchstones on like who a fairy is, where they come from, why we love them, why we feared them a little bit in the past. Mm -hmm. 
We're going to take a break. And when we come back from the break, I am going to, uh, we're going to interlace our hands like this. And we are going to take off our shoes and walk barefoot through the tall, wet grass of the best historical fairy story there is. You guys are going to lose your ever-loving minds. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Bev's Video Kingdom. Because the movies won't talk about themselves. So Andy crawls through this river of shit. He comes out, visits a dozen banks, and no one's like, I'm a little concerned about the guy in the suit. <laughs> right. It smells like shit. You mean, you, mean, you mean the guy that literally washed himself in a river full of shit? It's supposed to smell good? Dude, that's completely the mall rat's stink palm, which takes like three or four days to wash off. <laughs> oh, last time I scratched my ass, it smelled like Bigfoot's dick for a week. <laughs> Bev's Video Kingdom. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, before we get back to the fairies, I wanted to let you know that the Stevie Nicks show rocked. Okay, It was a double bill with her and Billy Joel. And oh my God, it's a good thing that we recorded before we went because neither of us had a voice the next day. I mean, listen, she did Rhiannon in the encore and we both almost peed our pants. Okay, I did actually pee my pants <laughs> a little bit. Oh, listen, but you can see snapshots from the concert and pictures of me and Rhiannon and um, photographs of some of these sexy-ass fairies we've been talking about when you... Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow. Oh. Oh. Solemn silence in a dull, dark duck. I'm done. I am a mother pheasant plucker. I pluck <laughs> mother pheasants. I am the pleasantest mother pheasant plucker to ever pluck a mother pheasant. <laughs> I've never even never that was tried that one. <laughs> I knew I would immediately uh, my subconscious it. would just be like, no. no. But don't you think that like a bloody Mary and a half in? I get super extra points for doing the mother pheasant plucker of it without saying motherfucker. 100%. Very impressive. <laughs> Thank you so oh, much. girl. I am so excited to jump into part two of the hilfing of fairies with my mm, best friend, Rhiannon Fiskratis. Let's do it. Okay. First of all, the story is that of the Cottingley fairies. Oh. <laughs> uh. and among the reasons why my friend Rhiannon just gave an orgasmic ex exhale <laughs> is because oh 25 ish years ago yeah, it was early on it was early on we uh sat in a room with probably i'll paint the scene around us there are passed out 20 something people Sounds asleep right. on Sounds various right, yeah. pieces of furniture Probably Sigaros or um, Bjork. Bjork for sure, or like Radiohead is playing on someone's desktop computer. Mm -hmm. um, we're the last ones awake. Mm -hmm. We kind of probably started playing cards or a drinking game, but now we're just talking. Mm -hmm. And you, Rhiannon, told me about a movie that you had seen about the Cottingley Fairies 
that I at the time and until I started this research did not know was based on a true story. So this general story of the Cottingley Fairies is this. The year is 1917 and we are in Cottingley, the United Kingdom. And this is in Northern England. It's inland. It's closer to Glasgow than it is to London. It's kind of landlocked, but that beautiful green rolling hills of England. There are two young girls. Elsie Wright is 16 and her younger cousin is Frances Griffiths, who's about nine. You know, this transverse couple of years, so give or take nine or 16. Frances and her mother have just moved from South Africa mm. to where her sister lives with her daughter, mm. you know, so their mothers are sisters. That these two little girls are playmates and pretty much each other's only playmates is of note to this story because Frances is, was raised in South Africa. She's a little bit different. She has an access that's different. She's seen more of the world than most of the people in her village. But um, Elsie lived four years in Canada. So she also, unlike some of the other kids in the village, has seen a lot of the world and has traveled and know things. And they're also both only children, which is so, so unusual. Wow. So no one says that they're outcasts and yet that they would gravitate to each other despite the age difference of being close playmates kind of makes sense. They've had such unique experiences. Totally. And they're different. They're different than their friends. And they're new, you know, at best yeah. they're the new kid. <clears throat> and um, so they're both getting in trouble by their moms all the time because they come home from playing together wet and dirty. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Elsie's mother in particular is like, my God, like, you know, y'all come out and you're girl, you're nice girls and you're fucking gross. And Elsie says, we have to get this dirty and wet if we're going to keep up with the fairies. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. Mom relax not our fault fairy's fault the adults of course mock and dismiss them <gasps> so they take a camera which is brand new yeah. and a completely not, and i don't just mean it's a new camera in their household of course i mean photography is brand new they are of middle lower class but dad has a camera and an interest in photo photography so they take the camera and they come back with the first photograph and they wait and she says see we took a photo today when we were out playing we took a picture mom so now you get to see mom like oh that's hilarious dad develops it Low and holds. what do you motherfucking know it is the photograph that i am showing my friend rhiannon right now yep Yep. That is the first photograph. Yep. For those of you listeners, it is Frances, the the uh, younger of the two cousins. She is sitting behind a bush, and on the foreground of the bush she's laying behind, there are four fairies. They're dancing. They're, they're playing like musical instruments. Their skin is glowing. They're kind of glowing. It's, of course, black it's and white. Black you can see white. a waterfall kind of falling behind her. And by all accounts, the parents are like, cute. I mean, we don't know exactly what you did, but, like, cute. <laughs> And they put it away. Which is astonishing because if photography is a brand new thing. Yeah. It's like they fast forwarded from, oh, amazing, a photograph, which is brand new, mm. to you doctored a photograph, which is... 70 I'm, years in the future? Absolutely. They just didn't care it's what sort they of were like, looking at. Oh, they just saw yeah. this thing that their kids created and were like, eh, It's kind of like, you'd be like, oh, cute, Beatrice. 
you you have a thousand dollars in your bank account so you hacked into the bank cute you'd still be like i'm sorry NBD. i'm sorry either this child made money or she hacked into a bank and either way you're this is amazing like your child just either photographed a fairy or is so fucking smart she figured out how to manipulate a photograph and they're just like you're so cute seriously though so if these petticoats happens? come back dirty one more time <laughs> I mean, they obviously not paying close attention. Priorities. Okay, well, then what happens? Okay, so a couple years later, uh, Elsie's mom joins the Theosophical Society. Interesting. And if you recall, our theosophists I mentioned earlier have their whole theory about what fairies are. They're called devas, and they believe in them very seriously. Now, a little pause to discuss the Theosophical Society. We are talking post-World War One, which when you're talking about the shattering and the complete disjointing of the human psyche mm. at large, mm. there are few situations more specific and acute than World War One. Yeah, that was brutal. Warfare and the interaction between human beings at their worst hit some serious next levels during World yeah. War One. Yeah, yeah. The airplane and chemical warfare and trench warfare meant that thousands of individuals who had a perception of good and evil and heaven and hell and how the world works came out different. Yeah. And one of the things that happened for many of these individuals on both sides of the trenches was a deep new questioning of their former belief in the unseen, the unknown, heaven and hell, what life is all about, and a new emerging idea of heaven and hell and the unseen and what life is all about. But what I know is that the God in the church that sent me into that trench is not the one I'm going to come home to mm -hmm. because right. Mm -hmm. It was devastating. Mm -hmm. And it coincided with this new birth globally of mysticism, spiritualism, seance, uh, a leaning into and a willingness to accept a new version of how this whole thing works than we have relied on before. And it came from corners that it had not come from before. And one of the seeds that sprouted from this sort of fertile soil is a theosophical society. Okay. And they are sort of no specific religion, science enough for the turn of the century. These are the first decades of the, of the, of the 20th century, trying to figure it out. <clears throat> and Elsie's mom becomes a member of the Theosophical Society in her local town. And she comes in one day with this whole photograph her daughter took of these fairies because the Theosophists believe in this shit. Hmm. And she went, she said, because there was a speech. There was somebody who was giving a talk about fairies. And she was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> my daughter's a fucking fairy. And she brings this picture in and it makes waves. Sure, of okay. course. The president, his name is Edward Gardner, sees this photograph that these girls took and is like, this is fucking it. This is basically Jesus on toast in Kentucky. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> this is the thing that's going to finally, everyone's going to be like, we saw him in the piece of toast. There's no denying that toast. It's obviously Jesus. I'm completely converted. You know, whatever. For sure. For sure. And he, but he's also skeptical enough to know these new 20th century minds are going to want more than just my word, because this is what sets us apart from the spiritualists who came before us. So he takes the plate 
not just the photograph, but the plate, the negative, for yeah. lack of a better word, to a guy named Harold Snelling, who is a, 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 a photography expert to the extent that you can have one at the time. He knows how to sort of see, is this a double exposure? He could say, mm. no, it's not a double exposure. Mm. He could rule out a few things. He could rule out that they had painted the fairies on mm. the glass, sure. for example, after they took the photo. And Harold Snelling did two very important things. One, he fixed it a little. He made, he, he sharpened the edges and he made the fairies a little bit more prominent and he fixed it a little. Mm. And he concluded as a sort of photograph forensics guy that this is not a double negative. That what he's that like, I am not going to tell you whether this is a real fairy or not, but I can tell you that it was in the photograph with her, that this entity, this thing that we're seeing was there. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it got there, but it's there. It wasn't added later. These photograph, this photograph then is reproduced and sold as are a subsequent four photographs. There are a total of five that are known as the Cottingley Fairies photographs. And I'm just, I'm, I'm turning my computer around to my friend Rhiannon so that she can scroll through these five and see them. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that one's a gnome sitting on Elsie's hand. And then describe the next one that you see. Well, that's uh, they're a little more transparent and in mm -hmm. some grass. That's the sun bath. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're sort one's... of fairy creatures, sort of standing in like a forest of grass. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they're just not, they're more, they're not obvious. They're like in, faded into the landscape a bit. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Ooh, that one's beautiful. I've seen that one before. Uh, sort of a uh, floating fairy above a stick, a branch of some kind. Yeah. And a girl about the teenager, probably. Elsie and the Elsie. leaping fairy, they yep. call that one. Uh, and she's sort of looking up over her shoulder, and the fairy is, like, offering her some flowers, it yeah, sort of looks like. Floating in the air. Mm -hmm. Again, she's kind of transparent. Now, these photographs... That's what I love about them. The fairies mm -hmm. ever have a transparency. They have a transparency to them and emotion to them. Some uh, Harold Snelling also confirmed, as he looked through these this photo and the subsequent photos, that the wings were moving. Mm. He could determine a certain amount of motion, and he was like, yeah, th th those wings are, are moving, and they seem to be moving in a, in a similar uh, speed as the water is falling behind her and the leaves are moving around her. So I can, I can confirm it's in the picture and I can confirm it's moving. These photos are printed and sold at the Theosophists Society and various other publications. And it becomes, as they say, a nice little earner. Sure. Sure, of course. A nice little earner for the family. <laughs> and our guy, Edward Gardner, he's the president of the Theosophists. He's like, I'm so excited. This is the thing that's going to crack it all open. And let's not forget, dude, that in addition to World War One, which was sort of the cracking of this veil of like, everyone has had the answers. There's no questions. Like, yeah, I got a lot of questions all of a sudden, <laughs> is technology. Yeah. So we have radio waves. So now we're like, so what you're saying is there are invisible communication that travels through the air that no one can see. We're also talking about x-rays. So now you're saying there is a way for a piece of technology to see through what the human eye has never been able to see before. This all feels real 
logical next Why step stuff. Why wouldn't I open my mind to other also, alternative? Yeah. And as I've just pointed out, we done been talking about these things forever. They were So we know we have bones inside our body. And we know when we die, we can cut the skin off and see that the bones were always there. We've always seen fairies. We've always known they were there. Now we have a piece of technology that is able to capture their image. Why is that hard to believe? And that was where a lot of people, especially the theosophists, came down. You can call it coincidence, or you can say the fairies arranged for a particular woman to see in this tiny town outside of Cottingley, these photographs that are being printed and sold for a profit. <clears throat> and she is the cousin of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Mm. And she sends one of these photos to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle with the message, wouldn't it be great if they were real? If you are a diehard Hill fan, and who ain't? <laughs> and you've already listened to episode 21 on Houdini with my friend Joe Brogy. You'll know that in the early 1920s, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries, got all tied up in the world of spiritualism, mysticism, mediums, seances, and ghosts, and that he ultimately came head to head with Houdini. Houdini, who kept saying, you're an idiot, you are being duped, they're all illusions, and, and spent his whole life convincing his friend, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, that he was being duped by these silly spiritualists. And Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was a well-respected, very rich author of these highly consumable mysteries, buying deeply into every bullshit theory <laughs> that crossed his desk. Wow. So Sir Arthur Conan Doyle gets this picture of a fairy, and he is he's tits deep before he finishes reading his cousin's letter. He's like, this is a fairy. This is fucking proof of fairies. Finally. Okay. Wow. This is what's going to prove to all these people. Now, in addition to being the famous author, author of Sherlock Holmes, and in addition, as I said, to being a spiritualist that we know was deeply invested, truly, authentically deep believer in all things spiritual and all things seance, his father was institutionalized in an insane asylum, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's father. And one of the things he did all day was sketch fairies. Huh? What? So wouldn't our friend just be particularly <laughs> primed to be like, and my dad is a crazy. Like, <laughs> are you serious? Like, everything in the world gets justified and fairies are real and my dad's wow. not nuts. Like, wow. let's, he's all in. Wow. And he is a huge name and everyone respects him. And he writes in the 1920 Christmas edition of the Strand magazine, a well-respected, respected, widely circulated magazine. It did short fiction, public interest stories. Sir Arthur, Con And it's where Sherlock Holmes originally premiered in like an, a serial sort of scenario. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle writes this huge piece about fairies. They are real. I have the proof. I can't wait for you to see it. Which, just like any era, you go viral. Sure. As viral as you can. <laughs> right. The, Slow going. The, girl, the girls and their within family. Within a year, everybody yeah. knows about you. For real. And everyone's got to take. And it's Cottingly Fairies, Cottingly Fairies, Cottingly Fairies. And they are the it story oh around the world oh overnight. The most, one of the most famous writers in the world. Not only is he writing about you, he's saying he believes it. Yeah. Right. And it is money, and it is it is prestige, and it is curiosity, and it is all these 
things. And the girls and their family never dispute the reality of these photographs. They also never take anymore. It's, you know, our buddy Edward Gardner, the president, he came with a camera. That was why there's five, because the girls took two, and he came with another camera and gave it to them and was like, just so you, you have this, I just want you to take more pictures. And they provided three more. So that's where those five that I showed you came from. But those are the only five that they ever take. And they never take any more. And But they do say, yes, 100%, it's real. And the kids say it's real. And it goes on and on and on. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle does not come out great at the end of this. Why? People aren't convinced. Why? He, the, the, well, the theory at the time is he's, as he gets older, he's getting a little silly and he's lost his thread, even though he was talking about this at the beginning of a Sherlock Holmes career. Like he always really believed it, but it was, um, spiritualism had its boom and then sort of its descent fairly quickly. And once oh. we get into, you know, prohibition, the great depression, world war two, these ideas, to focus it's hard in the midst of a fascist, uh, second world war to be like, but those fairies though, you guys want to talk about that anymore? And people are like, no, we have fucking that's nuclear always weapons. The, that's now. always the problem. Yeah. We take a back seat. Sure. We have television and nuclear weapons and, and you know, we don't want to talk about fairies anymore, but so it fades away. I understand. Now, however, as history is wont to do, it comes in cycles. And in the 1980s, people go, do you remember in the early part of this century, those two little girls that took pictures of fairies <laughs> and everyone was like, yeah, I think they're real. And then we just stopped talking about them for decades. Let's uh, revisit. And these what two happened? sluts are still alive. Oh, what happened? So they have Elsie, they have Francis. They are in their 80s and they're alive. And an author named Joe Cooper, who believes in fairies, who is coming at this not as a as a scully <laughs> full molder <laughs> he's coming in with all his molder cannons firing Beautiful. he's like i want to i think in the 80s let's do this right elsie and francis are living in england on opposite sides of the country though oh dear and they have had what they repeatedly refer to as a falling out oh dear we i still don't know why oh no but they're not friends anymore and this guy, Joe Cooper, is going to write the definitive book about the Cottingley fairies. He finds them and he's bouncing. And for perspective, um, England is give or take the size of Minnesota. <laughs> so he is driving from one side to the other. Three or four hours. He's driving hours. Now, we say from one side of the country to the other. But yeah, he's trying to. And this is the 1980s where we're not, we don't have the Internet and we don't have cell phones. So he's sitting with slump. the one and he's interviewing her and getting her story and hearing her thing. And then he goes to the other who's like, that's wrong. She's fucking wrong. And they're not friends. So they don't mind to be. He's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, and he keeps trying to write Woof. the book. And he's a jovial guy, though. <laughs> doing his best for that. And, and also, as I said before, a believer and wants to believe is very stoked about getting to how with these women now in their eighties, surely, you know, no hoax lasts forever. Mm. They have to, they, they would say something. So he is leaving Francis's house one day after you know, yet another interview and he's on his way out and she just sort of casually as he's getting into his car says, ah, it was all made up anyway. And he, what? And she, we made it up. We made it up. We made it all up. <laughs> so he is devastated. 
personally, as you are, as I am, telling the story. And he goes to Elsie and he says, Elsie, <laughs> Francis said it, it was all made up. And she goes, oh my God, fuck, yeah, yeah, it was what all did, made up. What did they do? Eventually, they explain that Francis copied from a book. First of all, first of all, they were pissed off because they're the only children. One of them came from South Africa. One of them came from Canada. I mean, I mean, let's just for a second give a little empathy to Francis and Elsie. And if you are a frequent listener to Hilf, one of the things that might make a nice companion to this episode is the Salem Witch Trials, which is an isolated teenage girl who's about to see her life fucking disappear, who yeah. realizes I, yeah. I hate everything and yeah, I hate everyone. And I just finally got eyes on me in a way that wasn't making me a pathetic female on the er verge of marriage and motherhood and I'm going to roll around in it in a while if you don't mind, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And utterly diminished and dismissed. So like anyone who is smarter than you think goes, oh, really? You think we're just fucking playing outside and why do we have to keep getting our clothes so dirty? You just moved me to the middle of fucking England from South Africa where I have one friend and won't I just please stop getting fucking dirty? Yeah. Give me the camera. Yeah. Right? So she traces from one of her books um, this image of these women dancing. They were just women dancing with cloths. And she cuts them out. She adds wings. She put them on cardboard, attached them to hat pins. And they arranged them in the well, bushes. It's, it's beautiful. Which is why Harold Snelling said they're in the picture why their wings appeared to be moving a little bit because it's just paper yeah and it, of course it's going to be blowing in the breeze yeah in a way that it looks like the leaves that are you know blowing in the breeze around them yeah. and they i have a link if you go to my, the show notes you can go watch the youtube interview with elsie and francis okay. in their 80s describing to a tv journalist how they did it if you want to <laughs> These are the theories about the quote unquote, what actually happened. Yeah. Okay. One is that the adults simply didn't think that these young girls were technically or psychologically capable of doing it. Part of the reason why this thing duped us for over 50 years was because the adults were actually blind to the idea that a child could do this. They couldn't believe it. Yeah. They were impossible. Their belief could not stretch to this world, yeah. which is kind of magical. Yeah. In that sense, they did do something kind of magical. Yeah. The other theory is that the adults didn't believe them at first. Okay, you guys did something here. You know, or like, yeah, those are fairies. Then caught on when the money started rolling in in those early days. And we're like, I mean, the money, by the way, the, the, the financial equivalent was mortgage payment. This is not pocket change. They were making money off of these photographs that was substantial for a okay. while. Right. And then once it really took off, especially when Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and the international fame started, we're talking jail for fraud. But we're also talking like, where's our money? Yeah, You're going to sure, jail now. Sure. And the adults can't be like, yeah, we fucking knew. Like yeah. the stakes are a lot higher, right? The other theory is that the whole thing is bullshit and the adults were in on it from the beginning. Mm. 
Elsie's dad's a photographer with mm-hmm. the camera in a dark room. Mm-hmm. And like, Which we're supposed to believe that these two little girls, but then have we not put ourselves then in the shoes of those adults being like, kids can't do this. And I encourage you to watch the interviews because I have no doubt the girls did it exactly the way they described it. Because these sluts are in their 80s talking to a journalist dishing for the first time in 50 years. And she's talking about how she got the hairpins and what her dad said when she brought it in. So I actually I actually disregard the idea that the adults were behind it. A, out of respect for Elsie and Francis, I think they were perfectly capable of doing it. Sure. And two, it just doesn't always try. I think they caught they caught it probably early on and didn't need to fix it, you know. Here's the thing. I simultaneously retain my belief in actual fairies and also really respect what those girls did. Yeah. Because my like foundational belief, my personal foundational belief is this world is hard and you make your own magic. Word. And if they were able to do that at that age with the resources that they had at hand, like I'm even thinking about my own personal perspective, which is in the modern era, the tools that I have access to versus the tools that they had access to more than a hundred years ago. And they managed to make those photographs that are widely known in culture today because of their ingenuity, regardless of their reality. That's amazing. It's amazing. That's beautiful artistry by small children yeah. who had imagination. Totally. But and talking about not just Sir Arthur. That's the spirit of fairies. It doesn't matter if they're real. That's the spirit of fairies. Girl. Pick up Which that one? book with the Baker Street on the cover. Yeah. So this is the book written by F.A. Marr. Yes. That, if you recall, I gave Rhiannon F. this book. F.R. Marr. F.R. Marr. Marr, thank you. Mm-hmm. That, if you recall, I gave this book to you Rhiannon B. And she you. was like, does this have to do with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes? So much so. So now you know. <laughs> so now you know the Sherlock Holmes connection to that cover. But more specifically, Rhiannon, the premise is that fairies are real. Beautiful. And they orchestrated the Cottingley fairy hoax to convince the world they were not real. Oh, kind of to use humans against themselves. Correct. Yeah. That that they, if they think they're so logical, their technology has, has captured us. So how do we figure out how to deal with the fact that their photography has captured us? clever. We, we construct it into a hoax and we have to lure in a respected voice like, like Sir Arthur Conan wow. Doyle. That is so, like double meta. I can't wait to read Woo! this book. I know. Right. Yeah, so I great. I can't wait. And I'm, one of the I'm things in. too that I'm is a, a detriment to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in terms of describing this whole situation is that he also diminished these girls and he said part of the reason why he was like, I believed it straightforward was like, couldn't be a hoax, cannot be a lie i'm 100 in i know they're telling the truth was because people girls of their class were incapable of fooling a man like him so you can see why as a girl who's standing next to him on stage who might feel an inkling of i this isn't right i should confess and maybe you even planned on telling the world me and my sister just use hat pins and cardboard you fucking dummies and so arthur condon doyles goes you think this dumb idiot look at her but she's got boobs what kind of idiot with boobs could ever fool me that you just go never mind i'm going to continue to let this idiot eat shit because <laughs> fuck him <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> right? Yeah. She's 17. You don't think that she... Mary Shelley I'm not wrote... even going to explain it to you, you misogynist piece of shit. Before we say goodbye, 
I want to bring you, Rhiannon, uh, right up to the millennium with another fabulous fairy hoax that um, has such a similar moral to the story that it is another hoax that somehow at the end makes it no less difficult to believe in fairies. Are you ready? I think so. I told you about this podcast, The Fairy Podcast. You did. Hosted by F.R. Mayer and Dan Baines. Can't wait. The military counterintuitive. I can't, I can't counter wait to devour it. Oh, my God. It's so fun. So Dan Baines in 2007 is working for the military. Yeah. And one of his jobs is in um, counterintelligence forensic inv- investigation, digital forensic investigation. Wow. Okay. Which basically means he's spending most hours of his day watching and listening to acts of human rights violations, torture, rape, and murder not alone in the world doesn't handle that well isn't rolling mentally with it well and is drinking a ton and is super unhappy and is going to the pub and is just kind of like oh my god yeah he also because he's a good rural english guy kind of believes in fairies and like kind of always heard about fairies and just kind of keeps fairies in his back pocket not something you talk about probably at boot camp but there it is and as a way to unwind artistic expression you name it He's also a visual creative person. He's an artist. He gets these like pretend skeletons and he builds for fun, like a skeletal remains of a fairy. And he like lays uh, various paper over it and he bakes it overnight. And, he makes it, and it looks like, like an archeological CSI fairy. Oh God, beautiful. And he gets his wife to wear like a latex surgical glove and he has her hold the fairy in his hand over like evidence paper so it looks super official and he takes a picture and he's like oh my god it looks so cool and he sends it with full disclaimer of what it is to like local newspapers to be like here's kind of a funny picture that could make people think that like fairies are real and that we've you know, found them and whatever. And they won't run it. And they're like, no, 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 no. And then he's like, you know who's going to love this shit? Oh. The Americans. Oh. Because he's right. (laughs) Because we don't think Elvis is dead. And because we believe in alien and all this stuff. So he sends it. He sends it at night over with an article, with like an accompanying sort of like, it was a dog walker stumbled upon the find and it was in a dry cave and all these reasons that would give your minorist like suspension (laughs) of disbelief. (laughs) <laughs> the like believe and i'm going to show you the photograph okay of the mummified fairy okay and it is okay. a mummified fairy it's a yeah. yeah it looks like a mummified biological creature anatomically human with wings i mean yeah F- ballpark f- fits in the palm of your hand it's lovely i mean it's like a it's yeah. terrifying love uh lovely interpretation and and like most fairy and like most things it goes viral and people believe and people are crazy. And then after a couple of weeks, he's like, I'm just kidding. It's a hoax. Well, oh my God, this does not put it to bed at all. People are like, you got to take that thing back where you found it or you and your family are going to be cursed forever. Ah. <laughs> and you piece of shit. And the fairies have now cursed you, man, because you have been fucking in the fairy world. And he is just like Ermigerd. And it goes, <laughs> and it goes, <laughs> <laughs> completely out of control. 
Look, look, people are very invested in this ideology. Couldn't agree more. You fuck with them and they... Fuck with you. Throw down. Word. Listen. So dude... Loses it all. Of course. That's not surprising. Leaves the military. He used to be an expert witness in court cases oh about forensic goodness. and interpret. And of course, oh, all of it, like, he made a fairy hoax. Oh. So maybe he can't talk in court anymore. Oh. He, he used to be in universities. He can't, he's no longer an expert witness in court cases. He can no longer teach in universities. It's, he loses, he loses it all. And then, oh God, he gets a call from Guillermo del Toro. No. What? Oh, Oh, and presently, that makes a lot of sense. Dan Baines creates creatures for Guillermo del Toro. He makes visual art and he's living his dream. Okay. Okay. And if you listen to this podcast, according to him, because he does believe deeply in fairies. He took a risk and chose to step into the world of fae. He caused mischief. And in the end, all of his wildest dreams came true. So, do you want to tell me that the hoax story is a proof that fairies don't exist? Or is it proof that they do? (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) That's um, pretty amazing. My dear friend Rhiannon, that is the hilf of fairies. God damn. <laughs> I did so not, fun. I don't know what I expected, but I did not expect that. That was beautiful. Oh, thanks. I already had so much love of fairies, and you just deepened My love and my passion and my interest. Mm. My interest, honestly. Mm-hmm. As Thank did you. you to me. Ugh. I don't know when I went into this, I actually kind of thought it would be sort of um, the origin of the grim fairy tales and then how oh, Tinkerbell sure. is different than that. That was sort yeah. of what I thought this was going to be. Sure. And I was, Dan Baines would argue, the fairies had a different plan. It was just a joy to research. And I thank you so much, not only for bringing it to me, but for bringing it into my life and for being my best friend. I love you. I love you. I'm so honored to have been part of this. Oh, Oh, thanks again to Rhiannon Fisk Raditz. Oh, please go check out her music and just generally obsess over how totally cool she is. <laughs> and as for us, new episodes every other Wednesday and next, holy shit, guys, Area 51. Oh, this one. So my friend, Lainey Pejos, assigned it to me. I jumped in cold and found myself in one of those wonderful deep dives that has had my head spinning ever since. Like, yeah, there's a lot we don't know about Area 51, but man, there is a lot we do. And it's a fucking fuck show of fuckery, and you won't want to miss it. In the meantime, our theme song was composed and performed by the incomparable Cat Perkins. A reminder that you can find my sources, links to the books, documentaries, and articles I reference in the summary of this episode, or by emailing us 
hilfpodcast at gmail.com or messaging us on social media at hilfpodcast. This has been Hilf, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party and everybody's coming. Fuck. <laughs>